Okay, so we're speaking today with Fabian Dietrich from Germany, lives in Montenegro right now. He's a speaker around the world and shares his um, experiences with Office Adventures and as a CEO. And we met him at TEDx um, a month ago and now he's willing to speak about us, not about his adventures, but about his family heritage. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a family where everything was in quotes normal. Um, though, even as a kid, I felt like something was different with me. And when I was 14, I, get, I got the solution why I felt a bit different. Uh, my mom and dad sat me down one day when I came back from school at the table and my dad was sitting to the left of me, my mom to the right. And she looked at me and she said, we have to tell you something important and we think that it's important for you to know your father is not your father. And my father was sitting right next to me there, right? So I, I think uh, at that time I was playing a video game when they called me um, to sit down in the living room and I actually stood up and said, okay, can I go now? That showed how much I was engaged with that video game. <laughs> you know, I just learned that my father's not my real father and I just wanted to go upstairs to keep on playing, which is sort of um, showing how I dealt with that fact at that time. I think when I was 14 years old, I was just not ready to go on the path of researching who my real father is. Um, so I just kept on living and, you know, within my family and um, I never um, uh, re inquired any information about my real biological father until I was, um, until it was too late actually, because when I was 24, my mom called me and she said, uh, your father died. And so I went to the funeral and, um, there I listened to the funeral speech, which was very moving because even I had no contact at all with my biological father. Everything they said about him in, the, in that funeral speech was absolutely um, matching my character. In, Everything, which in which way it matches with your character? <laughs> well, they said, um, they, they, they told a bunch of funny anecdotes. One was that um, there was a traffic jam on the autobahn, the, the German highway, and uh, not, not the highway, just a regular street. And there was a bulldozer, uh, an excavator parked on the street and nobody could. And, and the, the guy operating the bulldozer wasn't there. So my father, who was like on car number 10, just got out of his car and drove it away. You know, <laughs> so it was funny. And, and then, you know, after he was on the Russian front in World War II, Mm -hmm. um, he became a priest, a, a pastor, and um, there were stories about him giving uh, a ceremony in the church and five minutes later being in leather clothes and uh, on his motorbike and trying to race to the next church and always trying to make speed records and, and riding down uh, the, the, the time he needed to go from one commune to the next. And uh, also, when he was uh, transferred to Lüneburg, where he um, uh, was helping building the new commune um, of the Protestant church, the church was built. And when it was built, um, he wasn't yet in charge, but he commanded the people there how to build it because he was quite small. He was like 167 
uh, to build it to his needs. And that was in, I don't know, 1970-something probably. Um, he um, was afraid that for his first ceremony, the, the, the church bell would not be ready. And it wasn't. So he got a vinyl player where a song, there was church bells ringing. And while he was standing there at the thing where you, where you, where you speak, he would just put the needle back and forth to have a continuous ringing of church bells like a DJ 30 years ago. You know, and so <laughs> all these stories were, you know, it sort of resonated with me, but also, you know, they, they said some pretty bad things about him at the funeral. And it was like, wow, if you say these kind of things at a funeral, he must actually have been a pretty interesting well, that he ordered people around and that he used people for his needs and that he um, was quite um, a, a colonel when he talked to people, like uh, very demanding and, and, and speaking to other people as they were his sort of soldiers. <laughs> so at, wow. at that time, I had no idea why, because I didn't know about his past at all, you know. Um, but it was quite moving, the whole funeral speech. And I think from that moment on, I became interested in, he, in who he was. Because, you know, I cannot really call it family heritage because he wasn't really my family. I had no influence. And actually, my brothers and sisters from his side once told me, you can be so lucky that you had absolutely no influence because he was a terrible person, you know. Wow. And, and we had to suffer by being brought up by him um, because we had to live in the same household household with him and it was a tyrann, tyrannic sometimes they would even call him sadistic person wow those are heavy words to say about someone and I know that my half brother you know they're all 30 years older than I am um, left home when he was 16 because it was t terrible and uh, so yeah um, but since there were so many similarities between us, um, I think the genes have such a big impact. Maybe 50% of um, my character attributes can be explained by only the, what the heritage is in terms of genes and where I'm coming from. Uh, so that was quite interesting. You know, he, everyone in, in, he was playing the posaune and the, 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 I don't know how you call that, uh, he was playing the organ, he liked singing, all the, th the three of his siblings, my siblings, my half-siblings, two sisters and one brother from his side are opera singers, and I'm playing the guitar and I sing and I make music, so there's so much as genes, so obviously I want to know who he was, because it might explain some of my story too, just because of the genes. Yeah. Do, do you see something similarities in character? If you really need to use some keywords, do you see some similarities yeah. in character? Restless, um, motivated, um, always like in his funeral speech, it was saying that there was an energy and uh, and experiences in him that would have lasted for three lives because he did so many different things and so many of them it, it was like a restless driven person and i'm the same you know so there's definitely similarities um yeah
so definitely yes <laughs> so so you match it like like i did as well so you really looked about what you have from him how it matches with you yeah yeah because also the stepfather i brought i was brought up with who i call my father and who still i call my father and we do things together you know he comes here visiting me and stuff um i'm, I'm very different from him and actually when i was four years old when I didn't know that he's not my father, there was a scene my mom told me where I said, I'm glad I'm not like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? I'm glad I'm not a Dittrich. That's what I said. Oh, That's my last name. So even when I was four years old, it seems like I sensed there's something different with me. Yeah, but children always sense that. Right. But, but but on the end he was right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the the, the 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 way my stepfather is is so different to me. You know, I I, I, I don't want to say that there's something bad. I just want to say that it's not for, for me. He's not a role model. I don't think things about his character are inspirational for me. He's a great person, right? You know, a nice person. But when I look at my biological father which kind of might also be an idealization or a fantasy about him. There's many things I find inspirational. I mean, definitely not the war stories, but <laughs> the, the other things he did and that but, I know about him. Yeah, but that's part of it. Yeah, what, do you recognize, well. what do you recognize in that Reiner? Because you have a lot of that in common. <laughs> oh, I think it's about the worst this time, the first four or five years, when I jumped out of the family and I looked about some images about him and I make these paper cuts and really tried to focus how much I have from him in which way I'm similar to him face body language and then it comes to that really heavy knockout I think it was in in Krakow when I spoke to the barber of my grandfather a prisoner in Auschwitz and he said okay stand up it was like walking on on the red floor so go, go a few meters and come back. <laughs> I did, and I come back, and he said, okay, your shoulders are a little bit wider, you're a little bit taller, but you look exactly like your grandfather. That was really a shock for me. So, and that, but that keeps me out of, out of mind in that moment. So I was really confused, and on the other hand, I was really frustrated. Why well, that means you have to, yeah, it means you have to, when somebody tells you and said you looks like him, so did I have the same deeds he had, the same character structure like he has? So will I be able to kill people in masses like he did? So and then I start researching about his character. So what is similar to me? And I found so many things, and it was shocking on the end as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's the same system, system situation like Fabian is in. Mm -hmm. And you see, well, you cannot deny it that DNA passes on to the next generations. Mm -hmm. And normally, and then I spoke to so many guys out of that team of DNA, and I said, yeah, it grows up in the grand, grandchildren era again. So more heavily, more detailed, is it, oh God, no. 
<laughs> so when I became a mass murderer, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really a question. It hunts me. If yeah. I have only good things in that way, or I really have also the bad things of him. Yeah. So one, two things that come up to mind. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Milgram experiment. Yeah. Yeah. So if you look at that, 65% of people went to the last stage where they would electrocute people after they were screaming, I have a heart failure, right? Mm -hmm. So I yeah. think that takes a bit of the burden away that people in general, especially if there's people in uniform around you, especially if they're in, a, in an uncommon situation, uh, especially if you know things were as they were, they will do terrible things. It, it, it probably is still. You know, and the second thing that comes to mind is, you know, just because um, your grandfather or my father did those things, um, it, it doesn't mean that you will do it. I, th I think it means it, it, what he also did was he was probably a very good organizer and a high achieving person, just that he, he applied those things to <laughs> probably horrible <laughs> things, you know, <laughs> but you have the same deeds, but you can just apply it to something else. Of course, yes, but, but it, gives, it gives you a shake on, on the first hand. Definitely, yeah. Think, oh, me God. Too. oh, God, yeah. oh, God, <laughs> I'm related to that guy, I never met him, but on the other hand, how much is in me of him? Mm -hmm. I think that, that was the, the main focus I had, and I spoke to many others, like Niklas Frank, Bettina Göring, so siblings of war criminals, mm -hmm. and they all did the same. And which was really stunning for me, on the other hand, that all of them get raised up in boarding school with Nazi past. Uh -huh. So that was extremely heavy for me as well. I said, oh, God. So the rules and the values in these families never changed. Optically, outside, of course, they became calm and said, yeah, no, and not talk about it, so hide everything. But inside, the indoctrination was still active. Uh -huh. And we have, a, we have a sentence in German, I think you know that. Der Schoß ist fruchtbar. That is really a sentence created by the Nazis and is still active until today in Germany. Which is kind of like, the Apfel fällt nicht weit vom Stamm. Richtig. Right. Richtig. So everything is inherited now. It, mm based on your blood. And that was something I really feared in that moment. But of course, there are so many uh, dissertations about it that that not happen. But that we German get judged about that, that everything is inherited in our blood since our perpetrator, family, sibling, something like that. Right. But do you feel the same at the moment? Um. Mm, no, it's more like I feel what I, what I said before, you know, you have, you have um, deeds and now it depends how you apply those deeds so and you how you use it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I guess you can just, even that's a very far step, take the good things out of it, organizational talent or <laughs> high achievement, you know. In a, in, a, in, a, in a way which is, you know, it sounds weird, but when you say this was his job, then, I mean, just objectively speaking, he did that job in a 
perfect way. Just that the job was a horrible thing. Of course. Yeah. The, the, the organizational talent is, was actually good. And I, I know it's, it's really weird to say this, but it was just applied to a very horrible thing. So it's, it's depending on times and history and what's currently going on around us, how we apply those things. And maybe if he would have been born now, he would not be a mass murderer, but a leader of a NGO, <laughs> you know, yeah. who knows? It, it, sometimes it's just luck and random, you know, what, what the current job offerings are, so to speak. <laughs> I think it's, it's also that the society and the environment creates people like our grandparents. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah, not and easy. And, and I always not like that to judge it today. Well, I was not living in that, in that century. What happens there? It, I think it was a completely different situation. It's still today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah so but it's, I think it, that's it's, it's easy. Yeah, but of course, he killed the people. But it's not that easy, I think, to find an answer for why they did it. I think it was the, the time after the First World War. Mm. So they grow up, they had a lot of pain, suffering in so many ways when they lost the First World War. So it was easy to do things. And I had a nice conversation with my lawyer, with Ali. And he asked me and said, do you think it can happen? So go back to the Second World War. Hitler raises power in three years. The ultimate power. When he comes into Germany, until he became the head of the Germans. It was only three years. So take a guy from Afghanistan, a German soldier. He quit his, his job there as a soldier, bring him to Germany. Do you think it's possible to make a president out of him in three years? It was a really interesting question. And until today, I'm thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Is it really possible to force someone in that way that he became in a short term a leader of a country? Yeah, maybe in some countries. Maybe I think in Germany we're now so watching out for those things that it it might not be that easy. Uh, I don't think so. When I see and and now it it's like that that influence. When I see what happens in Germany with growing of the right wingers, what right. happens in Halle, what happens in Frankfurt, I think it can be possible. Hmm. Well, the nation itself right now is really acting in the way of the right-wingers. So come right. back in a, in a way of German nationalism. Mm. Interesting question. To, yeah, but if you have the good tool for people, so to give them something which the, the government right now is not able to deliver, mm. I think you have exactly the same situation that they're raising power in a quick term of time. Right. So and I think in some ways you see really these similarities until today again. If you watch a little bit in the parliament, the speeches they have, and which kind of words and talks they use. So they cover it a little bit that, that it matches with the modern times, but you see the, the message behind it. Mm. And it's the same like Goebbels, Göring, they yeah. delivered. It's exactly the same in, and I think in the same version they used it and they mean it in the same version. Hmm. Yeah, that's the problem scary. I have with. Yeah, 
It's scary. I just watched a race somewhere in Chemnitz or Dresden or Leipzig. I forgot where it was, but you would you could actually see that those people, if the journalists there wouldn't have cameras, they, or if they knew there was no consequences, they would just beat them up. Yeah. And they would actually scream things like, when we wollen, schlagen wir euch tot. You know, if we wanted to, we would just kill you and things yeah. like that. Yeah. I think it was the Pegida marches, when it starts growing with the Pegida marches and stuff like that. Which is still active. Yeah, in the Netherlands here as well. Yeah. 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 And I was remembering something that you said, uh, Raina, I think in Montenegro, where you said you would get calls from 95-year-old grandmothers who live on streets where those uh, demonstrations are happening, and they would just say it looks just like eight years of, ago. Night of broken glass. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was. It, I, I know a lot of survivors from Dresden and Leipzig, and they <coughs> called me really middle in the night when Pegida has her marches, and they said, we are in fear right now, we are really shattering. It really looks like when Goering and his SA guys went to the street in 1933 and 1936, and the feeling is still the same. Yeah, yeah. And things like that, <laughs> it, it's... It's really, it, it fears me on one hand, it moves me, where I said, can it really happen again? Are, are the world able to do it again in, diff think, in different countries? I think the answer we know, I think that's yes. Yeah, no, yeah I mean, that, I, I traveled a lot. And uh, for me, sometimes it was shocking, especially if you're German, because this in school is, you know, we learn so much about it. And then uh, as a German, you definitely think that uh, the Holocaust and, and Hitler was both the most evil things that ever happened on the world. And then for a long range, there's nothing evil. And then there's some other things like the Rwanda genocide or some, something oh, yeah. else. But uh, yeah, so if you, if, you, if you learn that when you're young and then I, in my travels through the Arab world, for example, I could have a conversation with an amazingly nice intellectual in a train ride from Marrakesh to Casablanca, let's say, and wow. at the end he would say, oh, Hitler was a great guy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, yeah, he killed the Jews. I'm like, oh fuck. Yeah, but he was fucking, yeah. Maybe he was a bit crazy, but he killed the Jews. It's a great. And, and I heard that many times, and from from people where before I would just have a great conversation with. You know, there there are lots of people who think that. Yeah. What, I, what was your I, reaction I, at that moment? Very shocked. But I was I was very young. It was the first time I heard it when I was like 24 that I met the first person that actually liked Hitler and what he did, and I was <laughs> shocked. And then it happened many times again, especially in, in some countries of the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and some people just don't know. So, like, I just read the biography called Born a Crime from Trevor Noah, the guy yeah. who's uh, hosting The Daily Show, and he had a friend in his youth who was called Hitler. And Hitler was a, Hitler was a common name in the, in the suburbs of, of Cape Town, because for them, it was just like, you know, someone who achieves a lot of things and they would just call their children that way. So you all, they also achieve a lot of things without really knowing what you did. Yeah, but, but you see, there is a different point of view on, on history. And then you start thinking, really start thinking why it happens, why the Germans were able to commit an industrial mass killing 
which never exists before in the world, and it will never exist in that way. Well, it was planned and industrial fulfilled. Right. You know, and, and I can give you an answer, but the answer is not based on details or what I know about that specific situation, but more from a psychological point of view. Um, if you look at the fact, like, I think the same guy who made, made the, the, no, it's called Philip, Philip Zimbardo, is a, a psychologist who grew up in the Bronx, and uh, he has a great TED talk called Why Ordinary People Turn Into Monsters or Heroes, and he did a bunch of research, like the prisoner in uh, the prison. The Stanford like, University yeah, experiment. Yeah, and, and, and if you look at the factors that he came up with, why people would turn into monsters, um, it's, it's very clear. Uniforms make a big difference, you know, if you go on a pyjama party, many mm -hmm. different things happen than they would happen if you do not dress up. And at Carnival, many different things happen than you would if you just not wear your normal clothes. Uh, blind obedience to authority, which get increased uh, if, the, if the environment is new, like in Guantanamo, you know, especially when you're young, you've never been in that situation, you just do what you do. Because other people tell you to do it because you don't know what, what the situation is, you know, and uh, giving, giving too much power uh, also, yeah. So I think that factors that also explain a lot and that are not unique to German, what happened in Germany and with the Holocaust, but to many other situations, you know, I agree. creating an enemy. Um, it doesn't even matter who it is, if it's a Jews or who not. It's just like have this. Let's have this one enemy and 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 put him down. And and you know now we have something that we can be angry with and project all our frustrations on. You know, if it's the Jews or whatnot, who, who cares? It doesn't it doesn't really make a difference. You just need some enemy. So yeah. I think that's yeah. That 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 would be my answer. I think it's it's a, a good a good example. The film The Wave. The yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see, schools don't really like that film. Well, it shows exactly what, what happens. Mm -hmm. How quick you can join the minds of people. How quick you can brainwash them. Yeah, we and, watched it in school. Yeah. In the modern times, they never see it in school. They go really on that sloppy things you can find, which is, yeah, in some ways, yeah. No. Yeah, and then that's, that's, that's a good point, because we are not bro being brought up as, as individuals who are being taught to think for themselves and, and question authorities. Yeah. You know, my, my colleagues, my age, who grew up in the east of Germany, still in math class, had to calculate the flying curves of grenades, you yeah. know, of, of tank <laughs> bullets. And in sports, you would simulate throwing a ball by, and, and being taught that this is how you would throw a grenade and, and stuff. You know, that's not long ago. You know, and, and the, the school didn't change that much from Preussen uh, school system. We're not being taught to think for ourselves. We're taught to be functioning, non-creative uh, command executioners. Executors. Yeah. Yeah, so no wonder the masses... Yeah sometimes are very manipulatable. Yeah, but nobody really thinks about that time. So it's like, uh, so if, it, if the past is longer than three weeks, it's forgotten. Mm -hmm. That yeah. is the feeling I have right now. And I heard that so many times when I, when I speak to, to people, they said, why are you steering up? It's 75 years ago. There is no need for. We know Hitler was there. But they not really learned out of it. Mm. And I think that it's not only with Nazi Germany. Every country has its own history. Right. 
like America with Vietnam, Korea. So they have their history as well. Russians have their history with Stalin. Yeah. So I think there is no country which, which has no any genocides. Yeah, I mean, in some cases, it's probably the best thing to um, forget about it. Like if you go to Rwanda, where now you live in a house where like a couple of years ago, the neighbor killed your... Get slaughtered, yeah. Yeah. Killed your parents or whatnot. If you now still live in the same house with, with the same people living next to you, what can you do? And what would it mean if you don't forget it? And if you live with that reality every day? And how would that make you relate to the other people around you? So in some cases, it's probably you have to turn the page to keep on having a normal life. Yeah, but, but what, what is your advice to the youth today? What would you tell the youth about? So when you see what's going on in the world, you traveled a lot like, like I did, and you see what's going on, which advice you would give to the youth? You see, I'm really not an expert on that topic. This is like the first time I'm actually thinking about these things <laughs> in a bit more detail than That's I usually I do. Ask you. <laughs> because I'm very disconnected from, from these questions. I do not even follow uh, the news too much. Um, which is, <laughs> yeah, but, but you see what's going on in the world. Yeah. I see what's going on and it's frightening. Right? I mean, I, I definitely, um, I, I follow a lot the American news and uh, I still wake up some mornings and I think, what the hell is going on that we could have elected this person or that America <laughs> could have elected this person as a president. And I was there in, uh, I think it was the 8th of December in 2016. I was in San Francisco and I went to the election party and that was the day when it was either Hillary or Trump and uh, everybody in San Francisco obviously thought, as California was very pro-Hillary, that she's going to win. And then people were lying on the streets, crying and saying they're going to go out to Canada. And there I was thinking, wow, how can this, how can this be happening? You know, so I, I followed the American news a lot more than, than any other news. Um, I don't have a specific answer. I mean, I, you know, question. But if you step out of your experience as a traveler. And as if you experience with other people, communicate, communicating with other people, if you step uh -huh. out of that, what would you say then? In regards to what question? To the question Reiner asked you. Which, can you... Like, like, like an advice, what would you give in you as, as Fabian? An yeah. advice, what you learned out of your experience, what is how to deal with different factors in the world, different situations like maybe politics, maybe how to treat other people, how to accept people, minorities, migrant refugees, all that, all that stuff. Which advice would you give to students, to the younger oh, generation? I probably would say go travel. <laughs> 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 you know, if, 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 if Trump with 22 years uh, would have given a $600 per month budget and a backpack with, and being forced to travel, around the world as a backpacker for two years, I don't think he would be the person he is. And I don't know, I don't think no, anybody can be the person, can be such a person if you have taken in the diversity of the world, if you have learned that we're all not so different from each other. And, so, um, you know, the, the, these stereotypes um, and, and, and prejudices come from lack of experience. And if you make the experience where you are being received 
and uh, in in any place of the world, much better than it would be received in Germany if, if people from that place come here, where everybody just lets you sleep in their place and gives you food, which happened to me. It's very hard to be racist, or very hard to put uh, people in a in a drawer and think they are evil because X Y that. So traveling is a is a great eliminator of prejudices, stereotypes, and all sorts of. Uh, racism, race, racistic thoughts. I always use the example, you know, I once drove from uh, Berlin to Cape Town in an old Mercedes. So I, I drove through 18 African countries and everything sub-Sahara, everything after Morocco, I would just step out of my car and then people would just say, come into my house and sleep there, here's food. You know, and sometimes I, I brought people along that I met in the embassies, and then uh, we were at one point four uh, four guy, four like a Finnish couple, and a Romanian woman and me, and we were invited by a Muslim family from our white old Mercedes uh, into their house, and we had to sleep in their beds because there was no convincing that they would not sleep on the ground. We couldn't do anything. We had to eat their food, and we had to sleep in their beds, and there was nothing we could do, and that was basically going on like this for 10 months like sometimes i wished i could have more privacy and actually book a hotel but it was just like come oh, and sleep in my place so you know amazing hospitality yeah. so now take the same example four black guys in an old white mercedes driving through a village in germany it <laughs> never happened what would happen? never happen <laughs> there would be some people who would actually just by the sight of it call the police Thank you for listening to Footsteps Podcast. Stay tuned to listen out for more information on new podcasts and join us on our social media sites. Thank you.